We want to talk about faith. We want to talk about um, politics. We want to talk about race. We want to talk about pop culture. Literally, everything, 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 everything is up for discussion, and that's what French culture is about. About, about, about. Brunch culture. Brunch culture. Brunch culture. Brunch culture. You are tuned into episode ten of Brunch Culture. My name is Randall Keith, and I'm joined by my co-host, Miss Lisa Victoria. What's up, y'all? So we, as always, we're going to start off with our weekend review. We had a pretty interesting week. Um, some exciting news and some not so exciting news. Some very kind of traumatic news, some news that really affected us all. Uh, let's kick it off with this ALS Ice Challenge. Um, if you guys know, the Ice Challenge is something that you probably saw on social media, on Facebook, on Instagram. Uh, it seemed like a local thing. I don't know exactly where it came from, but people start doing it. Uh, you get like a bucket of ice and water, and you just basically just endure it. Somebody pours it over your head you endure it, and you call out other people to go through the ice challenge. Well, apparently uh, ALS has also uh, come up with the challenge. They've also started to challenge people as well, and a lot of celebrities. It's like the new craze, uh, the new things to do for celebrities. Celebrities are kind of going in. We've had Justin Timberlake, uh, Oprah, a lot of big name, big heavy hitters uh, starting starting to do this ice challenge. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really big, and it's to raise awareness for Lou Gehrig's disease, um, also known as ALS. And um, they've had some uh, a lot of success. They raised millions of dollars already. It's turned out to be one of the most successful social media campaigns um, for, um, I think, disease awareness. So, it's amazing what what so the power of social media to raise funds and to just see people get on board and be willing to get soaking wet in ice water is amazing what people will do to to help somebody else and to just raise awareness for this um, this disease. Definitely, I think it's pretty interesting uh, to come up with a it's a new way. I know fundraising. If anybody's ever fundraised, fundraising is probably one of the hardest things to do. So having uh, that ability to get so many people interested and to make it a new fad and the thing to do to raise funds, I think is great. Yeah, 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 um, definitely. And that was one of just one of the many things that um, happened this week. I know another exciting thing that happened um, that was we were continuously made aware of. I know Terry um, Washington was posting about it was uh, the upcoming season of Scandal. And if you like, you're excited about. September 25th at new time, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, where we're going to be able to see the new season of Scandal minus Columbus Short. I don't know how I feel about that part, but I'm excited. I'm excited. Yeah, I think it's going to be, you know, I mean, it's Harrison, that was my dude. I think Harrison, he was the most loyal gladiator. He started the, he introduced us to the gladiator in the suit phrase, so it will be a, a little weird without him being there, but of course I'm extremely excited about it. Um, I'm looking forward to the scandal watch parties at the park on 14th, so I'll definitely be there, making it happen, diving into it, making sure everybody's quiet while we watch scandal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's 
that's a big deal. I know I used to watch it with my roommate um, every every Thursday night, so I'm excited. I'm excited about it. Um, well, the, in other news, we had something really tragic happen. Uh, um, actor um, Robin Williams, who America loved, um, took his life this week. Um, it was that was so unfortunate. Yeah. Extremely unfortunate. Um, I think uh, just hearing about it, when I first heard about it, I didn't really believe it. I think I saw a friend, my friend texted to me, and I, I saw, I just typed it in, and CNN had the article. But I didn't really want to believe it. I was like, oh, it's probably, you know, a hoax or something that's going to be disproven. Um, and, you know, I just didn't want to follow it. It wasn't until I was on my Instagram page and I saw someone post, the genie and Aladdin from the movie Aladdin, which, by the way, is the best Disney movie ever created. Um, they showed the it was a, a still shot of the scene where they gave each other a hug after Aladdin had set the genie free, and that's when to me it became real. And it was like, ah man, this was it, it kind of hit you to your heart because you start to think about all of those movies that you grew up on as a kid that. Uh, Robin Williams starred in, and you know how it made he made you laugh, he made you happy. It was something that we identified with the kid in him. We really enjoyed that, especially in you know Mrs. Doubtfire, um, his character in, in that that movie. He made you happy. So to see that he died and he died by taking his own life, it was pretty disturbing. Yeah, and I think it just made us all aware of even what we were talking about last week, just dealing with depression. Um, in Brunch Culture Episode 9, we talked about hurt and can we talk about it. And obviously this is a man who obviously they say he struggled with depression um, a good portion of his adult life and just, you know, the battles with clinical depression and, and in addition knowing that he was in the early stages of, of Parkinson's disease, I'm pretty sure put a strain on what he already dealt with. And I think that even when we look at when you're dealing with depression, you're in a sense of hopelessness. And how that affects you is in two different ways. And I think in the media right now, we're seeing it play out in two ways. Even in Ferguson, we're seeing um, with some of the people who are rioting are are looting and doing violent acts. And it's kind of like depression either play sometimes can play out in with hopelessness as a uh, violence against yourself, which in in essence what Robin Williams dealt with with the whole taking his own life hurting yourself or hurting others, and that's what we see in Ferguson and some of these these people who feel hopeless and they just want to get their voice heard, and, and they, they're starting to do these things um, as far as looting and things of that nature. But I think it's interesting how hopelessness plays out and, and, and anger and hurt plays out in, in people's lives. Sometimes either you hurt yourself or you hurt others or you hurt, try to hurt things or establishment, and it's just interesting how our minds work and how we process hurt. Um, and so I, I think it's very important that we, you know, make note of that and that we, you know, talk through things and going back to last week, getting the help we need um, when we're hurting or when we feel hopelessness. And I think that leads us into our main topic today, which is Ferguson. I mean, it's playing out on the news, uh, CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, everywhere, local news. Are are kind of chronicling the events there and watching it unfold, and it's really um, it's really 
it's really disheartening because I think this this young guy, Mike Brown, didn't even have to die. I mean, you know, they show him, you know, they release this tape where he obviously was shoplifting, um, but he was unarmed. And I think even if he was shoplifting, a police doesn't get the right to act as the the jury and the judge. Um, they're there to arrest, but they're not there to prosecute. And Correct. in this case, it seems like the cop took it upon himself to um, be the prosecutor and the jury and the judge and decided that, hey, Mike Brown's life is going to be taken today. Well, I, you know what? I think it's important that we separate the two. So even the the, the incident in itself um, and, and from the information that we had, the police officer did not pull him over because of knowledge of the robbery. The police officer yes. pulled him over because him, um, Mike Brown um, and his friend, I believe his name is Daryl Johnson, they were walking in the street together. Uh, they were both walking in the street, so the police officer uh, uh, apparently told them to move out of the street. There was uh, an altercation going. A scuffle started to happen, um, and heard the video from the the main eyewitness, which experienced it with them, which was Mike Brown's friend, there was no uh, – the, the police officer grabbed, pulled, grabbed at Mike Brown um, and at the car. So, And the reason that he stopped him again had nothing to do with the video. Um, I think there's been a lot of talk that's come up about, you know, if this video is relevant and – why the video was even released because it gives nothing it says nothing about the altercation the police officer had no knowledge of it so i think it's important that we separate the two and i think when we look at it we have to understand that um this police officer was really acting off of how he felt about the individual that he had just encountered simply off of his first impression uh, this is not something that, you know, he's interacted from what we know. We don't know that he's interacted with Mike Brown previously. We don't know that he had knowledge of the video. So his response to him in taking his life and in the the way that he took his life, that's where we have the issue. That's where we have the problem. And I think that's what we have to focus our discussion on and the national discussion as people are talking about it. We have to talk about that specifically. I think it was very strategic for this video showing Mike Brown um, robbing the convenience store, uh, uh, jacking up the the store clerk, pushing him out of the way, kind of charging back at him as a threat to you don't want to try me, if you will. That literally has nothing to do with the way that he was executed when he died. Those two are completely separate. And I think that, you know, when the discussions happen, it's important for us to look at it that way and to really talk about that, the, the execution and the death. And I, I say execution, and some people may say that that's a harsh term, but literally hearing about, hearing the eyewitness account uh, on how he was shot and killed, you can't call it anything other than that, in my thoughts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, and I think that as we, we're saying this, I think the people of Ferguson wouldn't have reacted the way they had reacted had the police not reacted the way they reacted. And I'm not saying that any of their behaviors as eluding is justified, but let's look at the fact that these policemen, after this is, this happened, came out 
looking like they were in the middle of Iraq fighting ISIS. And they had they were armed. I mean, it looked like the 60s out there. Yeah. I mean, footage on CNN and throwing tear gas. I mean, they're treating these people like they're animals and like they're not U.S. citizens. And so I think that anytime you you come with that and you're like over the top, of course people are going to get mad because you're proving the point that they've been trying to get through this whole time. You're, you have an ex- excessive force. Correct. And and that that really is – that's – that's the issue when we talk about, you know, this excessive force, the use of excessive force. Um, I think th- this uproar that we see, and you see so many people being so passionate about Mike Brown in particular. I think Mike Brown represents a an aggravation and a frustration that exists in the black community, and particularly with uh, the black people in Ferguson already. These people are – they make up the majority uh, of the city, the city's population. They make up the majority of the city's population. Um, however, when you look at the diversity of the police, the police force is definitely the minority. Um, and so when you look at the, the Mike Brown situation, you immediately start to think about other things that have come up in the news. We, we talked about, we, had a, we did a show, uh, a previous show on Eric Garner. Uh, it definitely takes you back to the Trayvon Martin situation. And, of course, you know, Trayvon Martin wasn't with an actual police officer, but we start to look at the the idea, the public perception of black men, African-American men, African-American boys, and that's where the frustration comes from. Um, there are a lot – there's been a lot of talk and a lot of people have, in in their discussion, kind of downed the riots. Um, really said that, you know, things like, oh, you know, these people have to be be mindful of what they're doing to their own communities, and, you know, they're basically uh, making things worse for themselves. But I think when we look at the riot and we look at why people riot and what comes from that, we have to understand that this is the response of, I think, someone, I was listening to CNN, and someone said that rioting and violence is the response of people that don't have a voice. That's their attempt to try to get their voices heard, to have a voice, to literally have a seat at the table and have a listening ear that will hear this. So because these people don't have that, they go to extreme measures, um, and they take extreme measures to get that heard. One thing that I will say, and it takes, it, when, as I uh, read about as I'm reading more, was re- reading more about it and getting more information about what's going on in Ferguson, Missouri. I go back to the LA riots. I went back to Rodney King, um, and I thought about the LA riots that came as a result of the acquittal of the police officer and the police officers and the Rodney King beating. And you think about it, not much was done, not much attention was given to racial issues prior to that. Um, no one really sat back and thought um, objectively about how police officers, the power that they possess, um, how their treatment or lack their, their or mistreatment of African Americans. That discussion was never had. But as a result of the LA riots, that discussion became at the forefront. It was definitely 
top, the number one thing uh, that was talked about. And so I thought about that in wake of saying when Mike Brown was killed, it wasn't on mainstream media. CNN was not checking for this. Did they have an article? Absolutely. But was this the running topic of discussion on mainstream news? No. It wasn't until the Ferguson riots started to happen, people started to go crazy, the looting started to happen, and that's when it became so serious. And so now you think about it, we're talking about Ferguson and not about Mike Brown. Mike Brown was not to mainstream media, was not that important. Mm-hmm. It was the rioting that made it important. So I think when we look at this and we look at the riots, I'm not saying that I'm a proponent for, you know, violence or for people doing it. Is it the best way? Absolutely not. But when you think about what comes as a result of this type of action, you have to say that, you know what, there's, there's some sort of, there's a silver lining in this because now we start to have a discussion that no one wanted to have before. Now people are being backed into a corner and forced to look at practices, policies, ideas, uh, 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 just a way that perceptions in general, people start to look at those things and we start to have those discussions that before we couldn't have. Yes, that's very true. I think I think that's very true, and that discussion needs to be had because there's this, um, I don't know, this thought that there's racism is obsolete or there's no racial injustice because we have an African-American president. But I think that's, that's it's a fallacy. Yes. Um, this Mike Brown situation is proof of that. And I think um, sometimes that I think that the the powers that be turn a blind eye to it. When you listen to the police chief saying when they were interviewing, he said he didn't feel like him releasing the tape and him releasing the officer's name would excite any more, um, any more kind of riot um, activity. And they were saying, how could you not know? Because, Obviously, there's been tension, and he acts oblivious to this attention, um, the tension between blacks and whites and the police and the citizens of, of Ferguson. And right. Time, how could you not know um, unless you just aren't aware? And I think that's being unaware is probably because you're not a victim to it. But those exactly. who are who police brutality, those who victims to the disparity in the community understand that there's, there's an obvious problem that needs to be done. And I'm not saying that every policeman is racist or every white person is racist. I'm just saying that there is still a racism, racist and a prejudice climate in the U.S. And if we turn a blind eye to it, we'll never progress and we'll never overcome it. You can't overcome something until you confront it. And I think this is what, even what you were saying, Randall, even though violence isn't the answer, had this not happened, we never would have been able to confront this issue publicly. It, exactly. You won't have this type, and it's very unfortunate, but this type of behavior is what creates an atmosphere that forces people to have the discussion. And so with that being said, I think, you know, we have to make sure that we're having the right discussions. I think we have to be fair on both sides. Um, I think when I look at, because at first, 
I didn't really understand, and I I I, I don't under I don't know in terms of legal because I heard um or one commentator say that this is a standard it was standard practice for the Missouri police uh, the Ferguson police to not release names of officers that are involved in shootings and things like that. So you know legally I don't know. Um, what what it is, but what I will say is kind of I'll comment to both sides. I understand the need to, for the family to know, the desire for the family to know, and it's not for the sake of we want to get him back, but what we want to do is to do due process and investigation of his background. You know, has he had any other complaints, racially racial complaints, or you know, has he been involved in ethics training and things like that? There's a need to know that. And I think that the, the, the family is due that, you know, because in essence, that will help them understand even more potentially that this officer um, may have gone into it with a certain type of mentality. It's, it's pretty plain and clear um, when you look at the way in which he shot him. Um, but, you know, to have that type of thing, it, 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 that type of knowledge, I can imagine it brings some some degree of comfort. But at the same time, I do understand that it is important because you do have people that are threatening, that are making threats. It was what the group Anonymous uh, that came out and basically said that they would uh, release all of the, the names of all of the police officers and their addresses and their families and things like that. And those types of things, that's when it gets serious. So you, I can understand wanting to protect the name for the sake of people that had nothing to do with it, children, wives husbands, uh, 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 parents, anybody in connect, they had nothing to do with it. So I can definitely understand that. And I think, you know, it's important that we have, when we have these types of discussions, we have a discussion about the truth of both parts. Um, and I think even with saying that, it brings me back to the point of thinking about the video, um, uh, the, the video of, of the robbery that happened prior to, and I think it was like just within the hour of being prior to, when we think about that, um, and considering the video, you know, it becomes very clear that we have to to, set, to paint Mike Brown as being this innocent, quote, unquote, gentle giant that would not hurt a fly. I think it's flawed. I think it's okay. We have to be able to give him a personality. And really, if anybody, most people don't walk around trying to cause harm, but if they're agitated or frustrated, they will do that. And I think it's unfortunate because I think strategically, we kind of have to keep him, Mike Brown, in this light of being the gentle giant. And we can't really talk about anything outside of that because if we do, then immediately the focus will be taken off of what the officer did and the way in which he did it, and it would immediately go to Mike Brown deserves it. And that's just unfortunate and unfair. Yeah, and I think you you have to be honest so that you won't look, we won't look like a hypocrite uh, as a society. But I think it, the, to point to his robbery is to take the attention, as you were saying, off the bigger issues. The police in, this, in, in Ferguson are used excessive force. And that's what people are upset about because it's kind of like if you weren't using excessive force, Mike Brown would have still been alive and you could have just took him downtown and he would have went into, you know, he would have had to go to court for stealing at the convenience store, but there was no need for him to die. 
Correct. It was in the back. Correct. And so, yeah. just, just moving along with this conversation, because it's, you know, it's really, I think we need more than one show to really cover all of this and everything that's happened. And we kind of want to get your feedback as well. You guys let us know what you think about this this Mike Brown situation and even the riots in Ferguson. Let us know your thoughts. Hit us up, uh, hashtag chat BC, and let us know what you're thinking. One thing that I definitely want to bring up, and I want to pose the question, and, and you know, we can kind of dive into it a little bit, but I definitely want to get feedback from the public. How effective do you guys think the rallies and the protests that are happening in other cities? We've seen this before. We've definitely seen it uh, with Trayvon Martin. We had so many peace rallies, and we had so many, you know, rallies for justice for Trayvon Martin that happened. And we're seeing this again um, happen in cities across the nation, which I think is great in terms of support, but when we think about it, how effective really are these rallies to the people of Ferguson and ultimately the justice for uh, Mike Brown? Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, definitely that's that's a, a real big question because we see, I think, Howard, um, Morehouse all took pictures holding their hands up saying don't shoot. And I think those are really powerful images to promote on social media, but it's like we said, is the public listening? Is the people who we need to dialogue and sit at the table with paying attention um, to this, and are they willing to have that discussion? So let us know what you think by hashtagging ChatBC. We would love to hear from you on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, um, or our website. Uh, But now we're going to move to today's random topic. Today's random topic is is an interesting thing. I've I've never seen anything quite like this. It is definitely pretty random. And the headline says woman hiding cocaine in her breast implant. So um a woman was from um landed in Madrid and she had um one point seven kilograms of cocaine hidden in her breast implant. She was a forty three year old Venezuelan woman and she exhibited strange behavior during the routine screening when she had arrived in Bogota, Colombia. Um, they searched her luggage, nothing unusual, but when the f- female um, officers frisked her, it revealed irregularities and deformities in the, her breast. She was so nervous that she confessed to carrying the cocaine in hand. <laughs> <laughs> Paint her was they were able to you know do the surgery and remove the breast implant. My thing is this: you went through all this trouble to hide this cocaine in your breast, and then when you get to the airport at the crucial moment, you are, are gonna get nervous and back out. What was I <laughs> actually do? Or if you took it upon yourself, you should just stop because you got you need to have the courage. And how? I, <laughs> I mean, they're feeling on your chest. I mean, even if they stripped you naked, they still wouldn't have been able to see it. You know what I'm saying? Because it's it's in your skin. All you had to do was tell them maybe you were had a um, in the last phase of breast cancer and you had lumps on your <laughs> Oh, that's so wrong. Uh, my thing is, so how did she plan on getting those out of it? Did she? Did the breast implants come first, and then the idea of putting drugs? In the next, or was it like, oh, well, I need to smuggle drugs. Let me get a breast implant. And was she going to go to the doctor, and the doctor's going to remove it? 
was a homeboy going, you know, cut her open and pull it. It, it just, Wait. that's, it's weird. That's really, really, really weird. <laughs> she was nice. But, uh, yeah, let us know what you think about this woman who decided to do this uh, because it is really, it's really crazy. Um, it's really crazy. Hit us up at hashtag again, chat BC. But, again, it's it's time for today's quote of the week. It's from um, Jean De La Fontaine. It says, a person often meets his destiny on the road he took to avoid it. So destiny can't be avoided. Sometimes when we're running from destiny, we run right into it. So thank you for checking out Brunch Culture this week. Um, remember to hit us up um, on our social media um, platforms, on Instagram at brunch underscore culture, at, on Twitter at brunch culture, on Facebook at facebook.com backslash brunch culture. And remember, you can find all of our past episodes and all of our, all of our links to social media on brunchculturebc.com. Again, that's brunchculturebc.com. And remember, at Brunch Culture, everything is up for discussion.